I hope you are enjoying Ecclesiastes. I hear many of you are. I'm certainly enjoying it, listening to uh, Andy R's enthusiasm for the book. Um, In his opinion, the best book in the Bible. He tells you that every Sunday. He tells us that every Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and the rest of the week. Why is it that such a book with, on the face of it, such a downbeat and pessimistic message is so good, even enjoyable, to study. Answer, because it is real. It is realistic. It asks the really tough questions of life about meaning and purpose, and it gives us honest answers. That is what is so liberating about the book. Many, many people make the decision to give serious investigation to the claims of Jesus Christ because when they hear Christians speak of Christian faith, it seems to make sense of the reality of the world. Look with me at uh, verse 3 of chapter 1. Here's the teacher's question. The teacher is the author of the book. This is the question the book seeks to answer. What does man gain from his labour at which he toils under the sun? In other words, what's it all about? What is the meaning and the purpose of life? What is the point? These are the questions the book seeks to answer. Now, if you're not yet a convinced Christian, I hope you will find Ecclesiastes a helpful book to reflect on. I hope you will find it helpful because it will resonate and empathise with the kind of questions you are asking. I hope you will find the answers from the teacher credible. And for Christians, Ecclesiastes is instructive and liberating in that it refocuses our minds and hearts. Think of what Andy was saying earlier. It refocuses our minds and hearts on what is eternal rather than what is fleeting as the basis of our security. Now, last Sunday, Andy helped us uh, understand the second half of chapter 1 and chapter 2. And in that section, the teacher, if you will hear, if you were here, you'll remember, considers what in life we can pursue that will give real satisfaction and meaning. First, he considers the pursuit of pleasure, 2.1.2.11. Does that lead in the end to true satisfaction, to meaning in life? I was uh, enjoying Andy's sermon last uh, week, and I went home, and, and I'm reading... Um, uh, at night, Matthew Pinson's autobiography, four-time Olympic gold medalist. And it was very powerful after listening to the sermon. What he he described his feelings were after the gold medal was hung round his neck. He said, I went back to the village, the Olympic village, and did my washing. And I thought, what's it all about? I would love, though, to be in his position to meditate on what's it all about, having won an Olympic gold medal. But nonetheless, it's true. Will pleasure, will a pursuit of success bring us true fulfilment? The teacher's answer, verse 11, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was breath. Chapter 2, verse 11. Breath, not meaningless. Breath, a better translation. Just fleeting, a chasing after the wind. Second, he considers the pursuit of wisdom. Verse 15, same answer. And then industry or work. Verse 23, 
All his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. This too is our breath. Now what in life can we pursue that will bring real satisfaction and meaning? Is it pleasure, learning, work? None of these things, the teacher says, answers the deepest questions, the deepest longings of the human heart. They are fleeting, a mere breath, a chasing after the wind. Now something Andy said last week, which is very important, and it's this. The fact that something is fleeting and cannot bring ultimate satisfaction and meaning does not mean they are bad. The teacher is not saying an Ecclesiastes kills the killjoys if there are any Christians like that. Ecclesiastes is not saying that we do not find pleasure in pleasure and we shouldn't. He is not saying that we do not find pleasure and meaning and encouragement in wisdom and learning. And he's not saying even that we are not to find pleasure and satisfaction in our work. The teacher in Ecclesiastes will say to us, if you enjoy your work, thank God the sun is on your back. But don't place your eternal security on any of these things. Now, we get to chapter 3 and we find the teacher in contemplative mood. Let's read three together. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to scatter stones and a time to gather them time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to mend. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What does the worker gain from his toil? I have seen a burden God has laid on men. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the hearts of men. Yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do, what, do good while they live. That everyone may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all his toil. That is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that men will revere him. Whatever is, has already been. And what will be, has been before. And God will call the past to account. And I saw something else under the sun. In the place of judgment, wickedness was there. In the place of justice, wickedness was there. I thought in my heart, God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked. And there will be a time for every activity. A time for every deed. I also thought, as for men, God tests them so that he may see that they are like animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All of the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is a mere breath. All go to the same place. All come from dust. And to dust, all return. Who knows if the spirit of man rises upward 
and if the spirit of the animal goes down to the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work, because that is his lot. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? In his sermon series on Ecclesiastes, Von Roberts, rector of St. Ebbs in Oxford, takes as his title for the series, Faith, Fact and Fear God. That's an excellent, pithy summary of the message of Ecclesiastes, and it's an excellent summary of this chapter 3, Faith, Fact and Fear God, and you'll see these are the two headings I have on the service sheet. Faith, Fact is the point of the poem in verses 1 through 8, and then from verse 18 through to the end of the chapter, Faith, Facts. And then in light of the facts of our human existence, the teacher's reflections and conclusions in the central section are that we should fear God. That's roughly how chapter 3 divides up. Let's begin then by facing facts, the facts concerning our human existence. The teacher's reflections here are on the subject of time. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven and so on. Time takes by relentlessly. We have a very large IKEA clock in our family room at home which runs our lives. It's three minutes slow, or the other fast, it must be, otherwise we'd be late. At breakfast time, school run, bath time, bedtime, church time. Every church needs a clock. Someone has put it for the benefit of the preacher and the blessing of the congregation. Without a clock, the preacher would never be under control. When we lived and worked in London, the whole transport system, especially the tube, is dominated by digital display clocks. Every night I'd stand in the Northern Line at London Bridge or Borough and I'd watch the countdown, eight minutes, six minutes, four minutes, two minutes, train approaching, mind the gap, stand clear. Again and again, round and round, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Time dominates our world, our lives. Perhaps when we're younger, we barely notice the passing of time. And then all of a sudden, we realise that time has caught up with us. Maybe we look in the mirror. Every year Christmas comes round quicker. Birthdays, anniversaries, time ticks, 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 relentlessly on, is unstoppable. We cannot control it we might want to turn the clock back or turn it forward, but we can't. It ticks, tock, tick, relentlessly. Now this poem, 1 to 8, is intended to cover every part of human life and existence. A time to born and a time to die. There are the brackets. To plant, to uproot, to kill, to heal, to tear down, to build. Notice there are good times and there are bad times in this realistic reflection of life. There are times to weep, and there are times to laugh. There are times to mourn, and there are times to dance. Later on, there is a time to embrace, and a time to refrain. You see, it's so realistic, isn't it? The pendulum of life swings. Good times, harder times, good times, harder times. As the clock ticks, tears and laughter, silence 
and speaking. There's also good practical advice if it's not stretching a point in the poem here, a time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to be silent and a time to speak. Now there is order in time in this poem. There is order in the seasons. There's order and rhythm in the seasons of our lives. There's order and rhythm in the world and history in the passage of time. But this poem is fundamentally bleak. Notice how in each line, one line, one part rather cancels out the other. Sometimes it's just the vagaries of life, planting and uprooting, tearing down and building, searching and giving up, tearing and mending. But in many of these couplets, there's a stark bleakness as the pendulum swings more starkly, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace, a time for birth and a time for death. Now it's time to die that the teacher returns to at the end of the chapter from verse 18. Just outside Canary Wharf and the DLR station in London is a financial square where there is a large digital display on the outside of one of the life assurance companies counting the number of deaths in the world this year. It's quite alarming to watch it. You can hardly keep up with the ever-increasing digital display. And of course, for every one of us, the clock ticks to that day, the day of our death, and there is nothing we can do to prevent it. All we can do, and this is what our culture does, is ignore it. It's just a matter of time. One of the most uh, famous sermons that uh, Ian Paisley ever preached. Some of you will have heard of Ian Paisley. Uh, in his uh, younger day, um, he was a very, very powerful gospel preacher. And this famous sermon he preached was 60 minutes to go. 60 minutes to go. I think he said 60 minutes to go 160 times in his sermon. But it really was used by God because it's true. Time ticks to that inevitable conclusion. Now in verse 18 and following, the preacher is brutally honest. As for men, God tests them so they may see they are like the animals. Man's fate is like that of the animals. The same fate awaits them both. As one dies, so dies the other. All of the same breath. Man has no advantage over the animal. Everything is a breath. All go to the same place. All come from dust, and to dust all return. Not perhaps the choicest words to use at a funeral. But he's realistic, isn't he? I wonder if you've heard this popular nursery rhyme, Solomon Grundy. It's quite depressing, really, to read it. Here we go. Solomon Grundy, born on a Monday, christened on Tuesday, married on Wednesday, took ill on Thursday, grew worse on Friday, died on Saturday, buried on Sunday. That was the end of Solomon Grundy. Face facts, says the teacher in Ecclesiastes. Now, in light of the facts about our human existence, the teacher's reflections and conclusions in the middle bit of the chapter are that we should fear God. Face facts, and in light of that, fear God. Face facts. Don't be, alar don't be too alarmed, he says. 
But just be real. And in light of that, fear God. Look at verse 9. It's a question the teacher is left with after his reflection on the facts of human existence. What does the worker gain from his toil? Remember that question, chapter 1, verse 3? What's it all about? What does the worker gain from his toil? The same question. What's it all for? What's the meaning and purpose of life? What's the point? Yes, there are good things in life, in human existence, in the world we live in. That's what the teacher is saying in verse 11. God has made everything beautiful in its time. But there's a burden God has laid on men, he says. It's a pendulum, swings from the good times to the hard times. At the end of the day, what's the point of it all? It's just a breath. It comes and it goes. It's no more. We come and go and we are no more. A powerful illustration Andy used of the graveyard over there that he walks in through the week. One of the gravestones, the writing is so buffeted by the wind and the rain that you cannot even make out other than a blur. And you can sense in the teacher's heart here and in our hearts, is there nothing that is lasting? Or is everything fleeting? Is everything a breath? And that is what the teacher now begins to meditate on. Is there something more? Is there something that is eternal, that is not mere breath? Now, you may know where this is going if you're a Christian. The answer is always Jesus. But try and steal yourself from knowing the answer and let the logic of facing up to reality remind you how wonderful that answer is. Verse 14, I know the teacher says that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. Everything in this world, everything about our existence, what we do, what we have is fleeting. It's a mere breath, but God and all that God is, is eternal. And that eternal God, verse 11, has said eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Isn't that a striking statement? God has set eternity in the heart of humanity. It's very moving. What does it mean? It means that we have a consciousness as men and women of the eternal God and we know deep down in our hearts that we were not created to die. The world in which we live should not be subject to to the frustration it is. When you go to any funeral, at least I am powerfully reminded that none of us were created for that. This month, one voice includes a little obituary for William Ince, who died as a tiny child. When you go to a funeral like that, you know for sure humanity was not created by God for that. We have a consciousness of the eternal. We have a consciousness that we were not created to die. We have a consciousness that the world in which we live should not be subject to the frustration it is. God has placed that consciousness for eternity in our hearts 
and we long for something more than what is fleeting and transient, the mere breath of human existence. And yet again here the teacher expresses his frustration. He says, God has set eternity in the hearts of men, yet they cannot fathom it. They cannot understand what God has done from beginning to end. As one writer puts it, we might have a consciousness of eternity, a consciousness of the eternal God, but we cannot have the confidence and the assurance about eternal matters because there are unanswered questions. So, for example, as the teacher contemplates his death, he asks, verse 21, who knows if the spirit of man rises upward and if the spirit of the animal goes down? And the end of verse 22, for who can bring him to see what will happen after him? The one thing the teacher has a strong sense of is that there will be judgment in eternity. That's the point he makes in verses 15 to 17. Just read with me verse 17. I thought in my heart God will bring to judgment both the righteous and the wicked, for there will be a time for every activity, a time for every deed. So what are the teacher's conclusions? Pendulum of life, all is a breath. The inevitability of death, judgment at the hands of an eternal God, and therefore how should we live? Answer verse 14, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that man will revere him or fear him. The teacher concludes that he should fear God conscious of that eternity but in his frustration because he cannot know more than that his lot is to take the good God gives him in life if God gives him good and to relish it and enjoy it. Verse 12 I know that there is nothing better for men than to be happy and do good while they live. Verse 22 So I saw that there is nothing better for a man than to enjoy his work because that is his lot. And so there are the teacher's conclusions. Face facts and fear God. Enjoy the good things. Enjoy the blessings. The sun is on your back, let it warm you. If the wind is behind you, let it carry you. But remember in the end, it's all a breath. Life is fleeting and there's death and judgment at the hands of an eternal God. So whatever you do in life, fear God, revere him, even in your frustration when you cannot fathom what eternity in your heart really means. Now, At that point, the teacher, at his point in salvation history, has to say, Amen, let's pray, and we sing a song. And we would leave, in a sense, saying, yes, the teacher's got it right. Life is fleeting. Life is fragile. As we leave, we might just glance over to the graveyard to be reminded. And all we could do is be thankful if the sun is on our backs. But we fear God and revere him. But we do not live at his point of salvation history, do we? We live at this point. Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets, like the teacher here, and kings wanted to see what you see but did not see it. This is Solomon, the mighty king, who wrote this. He could not see what you and I see tonight. They wanted to hear what you hear but did not hear it. Blessed are you. What do we know about the eternal God? One, that the eternal God came to us in the person of Jesus. We know what God is like. Two, that Jesus died for us, that we might be forgiven, fully forgiven. That judgment that will come 
We know what Jesus will say then. He'll say you are forgiven. We know three, that Jesus was raised from death to life, that we might be raised from death to life. We know four, that Jesus was raised from death to life, that this frustrated world will be renewed. And so the teacher cries out in verse 22, for who can bring him, that is man or woman, you and I, to see what will happen to him or her when they die? Who is there to show us what will happen to us when we die? The answer, of course, is the Lord Jesus. The Christian living this side of the cross and the resurrection does not simply have a consciousness about what is eternal. They have a certainty and a confidence. As we read our Bibles, we see, we know, we have, we hear. Now, three applications as we close. One, find your security in God, in the Lord Jesus. If you lose your home, your job, your health, and if you are a Christian believer, it will be really hard and painful, but you will have lost nothing of eternal value. And so do not place your security in what is fleeting. Place your security in what is eternal. And only God is eternal. Some of our church family going through tough times in their lives personally really come to see that as true. And you know, it's wonderfully liberating. It's wonderfully liberating to distinguish between what is temporal and what is eternal and throw your lot in with that. It's wonderfully reassuring. Find your security in God and in God alone. Second application, enjoy the good things in life and see the tough stuff in perspective. Enjoy the good things in life. Let me just reiterate this point. The fact that things in this world and this life are fleeting, like an Olympic gold medal. It's just an Olympic gold medal, but it's fantastic at the time. Of course it is. Pleasure in life, learning, our jobs. Enjoy it. But remember it's a mere breath. If the sun is on our back, let it warm us. If the wind is with us, let it put wind in our sails. If your job is good, enjoy it. Last week, Andy R. quoted Eric Little. When I run, I feel his pleasure. You can run like the wind and feel God's pleasure, then run like the wind and feel God's pleasure. And don't let any Christian be a killjoy. But don't place too much store in what is mere breath in the end. And a right perspective not only frees us to enjoy the good things in life, but helps us see the tough stuff in perspective. When the pendulum swings the other way, don't doubt God Don't doubt eternity. Don't doubt your security. Be steady. Because the tough stuff, like the good stuff, is a mere breath also. Final application. Live in light of eternity. Live your life conscious of what is eternal and what is fleeting. 
And the key way to do that, I guess, is to tell the gospel. To tell people what the teacher tells us. You engage people in conversations who are not Christians. They, they, they will lap up this kind of stuff. Ask them what they think the purpose is to life. Ask them about death. And tell them what you believe. And tell them what the gospel says. Take them to a Christianity Explored course. Chew over this kind of stuff in the Lynx Bar. Ecclesiastes is a wonderful book. There is no more penetrating book in its realism. But it's facing realism that the brilliant light of the gospel shines ever more brightly and becomes in our eyes a beacon of hope for us and for humanity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these reflections of this teacher. We thank you for his realism, his honesty, asking these questions of life. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to find our security in that, and that which alone is eternal, the living God. And thank you, Lord, that we can find that security through Jesus and know forgiveness, and know that the judgment has been borne by him, and know that there is life beyond the grave, because Jesus came through the grave to life, and so will we. Lord, help us to enjoy the good things of life. Help us not to kill the joy that you give us in life. Help us to allow the sun to warm our backs when it's warm. But Lord, when the pendulum swings against us, help us not to despair, but to see the tough stuff as the good stuff, as all a breath. And help us, Lord, therefore, to live in light of eternity, to live conscious of what is eternal and not what is fleeting, and to make it our desire to tell people this wonderful news to allow the gospel to come alive in our lives and so illuminate the path of people in this world. Help us to do that for your glory and for their good. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.